You know, I don't have many grouchy days very often. But I had one a couple of years back. Now, that's not the last one I've had. I've had some. <laughs> this is just the most memorable one. Oh, and it was a day. You know those days that I'm talking about? There was a team that we were working with at the church, and they it was just stressful. There were some things going on. And it was a stressful thing. It was a stressful time. And my brother and his family were getting ready to move back overseas. And so my heart was breaking there, stress level up at the office. I know you don't think there's stress in a church office, but not here, there, where I was, right? Oh, and it was just, um, and this sounds so self-serving, but I got to tell you, I had been trying to get out of jury duty. And I had failed at it. So I was just a grouch. And I took it out on my wife. And so we have a messaging app that you know when somebody's read the message. And she had been texting me and I was not responding to her. Not because I was mad at her. I was just mad. And so she's texting me and I'm not responding. I'm reading them. I'm not responding the little check mark is blue, so she knows. I know that she knows that I know, you know, that I've looked at it. Well, she calls me, and I answer, and I snap at her. Now, I know I'm the only man in the room that does this, right? But I'm having a horrible day, and it has nothing to do with my wife, and I'm taking it out on her. And so I'm not answering her text messages, and I snap at her. And she is a saint. Y'all, she's a saint, Okay. But she got angry, and she gave it back to me a little bit. So on the way home, I'm getting gas, and I go in to pay, and I see, you know, there in the store one of Crystal's favorite things. And so in my mind, I think, I should get that for her. But, you know, I'm having a grouchy day. And I don't. And I just feel like a horrible human being. Well, I get home, and I'm thinking to myself, walking up to the door, I wonder how this is going to be, you know. And I walk in, and it smells amazing. And she had made one of my favorite dishes. And you know what? I feel about that tall. And not only has she made one of my favorite dishes, but she's had the kids kind of like pick up because she knows dad's had a stressful day. And we sit down and she's being so gracious. And I start thinking, okay. <laughs> but she's so loving. And the, the guilt that flooded over me, like I'm talking about a tidal wave of guilt, right? If you've ever been in this situation, then you know what I'm talking about. I just felt so guilty because... I had allowed the things that were stressing me out to be taken out on her and subsequently on the children as well. But she was still loving me so well. And so the guilt and then the apologies. And so I began saying, you know, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry about the day and I'm sorry that I was taking this out on you. And she says, oh, it's fine. And see, I never know how to take that. <laughs> but she meant like, but let me tell you, she is a saint because she meant it like, she didn't hold it against me. And 
And it just was kind of like a gospel moment where I'm at my worst. Um, God really used her to show me that um, his character is to give the best. Now, the reason that I tell you that is because that is exactly what we're talking about this morning. We're just going to uh, take that concept at our worst, we get the best. We're going to blow it up, right, to a cosmic and eternal application. That's what we're talking about today is when we are at our worst, right, Jesus Christ gives his best so that we can have all of God's best and all of God's riches in our life. So let me invite you to open to Isaiah chapter 53. If you haven't already turned there, listen, if you're new to the church and you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Just look on with somebody. Uh, if you have it on your phone, that's awesome. Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, Ernie had mentioned it, but let me say again to the guests, we're so glad that you're here. We love worshiping the Lord. We love loving one another. We love studying the Word of God. We love worshiping King Jesus. And so we always pray that you feel two things. One, that you feel welcomed and that you feel like we, we care about you because we do. We love all of our guests. We know it takes a lot of courage to go to a new place and uh, sit in a new seat uh, around people that you may not know. So thanks for that. But we also pray that you would experience the presence of God. Because we want you to know that God is not a concept. God is not a theory. And God is not an old prophet that got crucified and put in a tomb. Our God is alive. And so we pray that you feel welcomed and that you feel the presence of God. So we're in Isaiah chapter 53 today, and this is what we're thinking about. At our worst, the Lord made an incredible sacrifice so that we could have His best, not our best. Because our best, when you compare it, when you contrast it with the best of God, there is no comparison. And so today, as we think about communion, as we look at Isaiah chapter 53, we're learning that at our worst, the Lord made his sacrifice so that we could have his best. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 6, the scripture that we're looking at, here's what it says in Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our grief and he has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced, not for his transgressions, but for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And all like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So when preachers get up and start talking about these things, people get uncomfortable. They start shifting. Right? Because they think the preacher is going to be talking about me and my sin. Listen, here's the deal. Every one of us in this worship center, right here in the scripture says, every one of us have gone astray. So I'm not saying I don't want you to feel uncomfortable about your sin. I'm just saying we all feel uncomfortable about our sin together, right? But here's what I want to do today. I want to ask you this question. Have you ever heard, seen, or experienced something in your life? And in that moment, you look at it and you say to yourself, you know, 
That should probably more be more important to me than it is at this moment. For Crystal and I, we talk about this often. We talk about how and where we tell each other, I love you. Oftentimes, it's at the end of a phone call. And it's almost like a customary greeting, like, hey, how you doing? At the end, we say, okay, love you, bye. And I found myself sometimes taking that phrase for granted, right? Like, she's saying, Zach, I love you. I'll see you when I get home. And this is what I give her back. Love you too, bye. And I think to myself, you know... That's not hitting me as hard as it should be hitting me, right? That's not hitting me as hard as the first time that she and I were sitting on my couch and we're at that moment where we're defining the relationship, right? DTR. And, and we're talking about how we feel about one another. And I remember saying, because I didn't have the courage to say I love you, I said, I think I love you. <laughs> you know, I'm all courageous and everything, you know. And she says, I think I love you too. And I'm telling you, I was higher than any mountain in any country, right? I mean, my heart was soaring. So why is it now that when she tells me at the end of the call, I love you, it doesn't hit me like it should? You know what else at times hasn't hit me like it should? Sometimes when I was learning things in school, I would look at this on the board and I would say, you know, that should probably be important to me. I'm going to probably need that at some point in my life. In 1996, I was enrolled... In driving school. And there was a section in Houston, Texas, on how to drive on snow and ice. (laughs) And I said, you know, I should pay attention to this. But it just doesn't feel important to me. Well, listen, how about this? What if, what if, when we look at this scripture that talks about God who will become flesh, right? And it doesn't say the name of Jesus. I gotta admit that to you. It says He. But if you go back a chapter, it says that, that the, that the He that Isaiah is, is prophesying about is the servant. It's the one who will establish a kingdom. There is no doubt that this is talking about King Jesus. And so when we read that in church and it says, and He was pierced. For our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And we read that and we go, you know, that should mean something more to me right now than it does. Why? Why is it that sometimes we can look at a scripture and we can read it and and it just doesn't connect with our heart? Well, I don't know why, but I know what the remedy is. The remedy is sometimes for us to just stop and just take the time to rediscover the point of the scripture and the importance of the passage. And so that's, that's really what I want for us to do to prepare our minds and to prepare our hearts to receive communion this morning. And if you have your notes there in front of you, you notice we're really just going to do three things. We're going to walk through the statement that I've made this morning, that at our worst, Jesus made a tremendous sacrifice to provide his best. And we're going to see if we can't get ourselves this morning through through the graciousness and the power of God, through the working of the Holy Spirit that is in the life of those who follow him, to really appropriately and properly respond to the important point that is being made here. I was... 
Many of you know this. I love reading hymns. I was reading a hymn by Isaac Watts. And I want to share it with you because it, it so much communicates what I'm talking about this morning. And as he thought about the cross, where it took him, what his emotional response was, what his theological thinking was when he thought about images such as Jesus being crushed and broken and pierced for our transgressions. It says, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count as loss and poor contempt on all my pride. I'm praying for you this morning that as we think about the cross, that that is where you would land this morning. That that is where you would walk today and walk out of here saying, this is who I am in in front of Christ Jesus. Let me give you another one. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God, and all the vain things that charm the most, I sacrifice them to His blood. His dying crimson, like a robe, spreads over his body on the tree. Then I am dead to the globe, and the globe is now dead to me. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing and so divine demands my soul, my life, and my all. My prayer for you as we look at these ideas from Isaiah 53 is that today you would leave having made that commitment that because of the glorious cross, because of Jesus, the Prince of Glory, being crushed and pierced for my sin, I give Him my all. I give Him my soul. I give Him my life. I give Him my future. That's what we're looking at this morning. So, uh, if you see in your notes, you see three sections. At our worst, Jesus made a tremendous sacrifice to provide His best. And so, let's just start at at our worst. And I want to share with you this morning three words that are found in these three verses. Because this really characterizes where it is that God steps in and saves the day. Where it is that God steps in and does His life-giving work. Where it is that He found us when He picked us up and drug us out of the danger that we had created for ourselves because of wickedness, because of transgressions, because of iniquity and all these deep and rich theological words that we find in the Scripture. Well, these are the three words. We find the word broken... We find misunderstanding and we find rebellion. And so I'm going to ask you to just make, if you're making notes this morning, just write down those words under that title, at our worst. At our worst, when the Lord Jesus was crucified on the cross, it was for our brokenness. Look in verse 4. He has borne our grief, right? And He has carried our sorrow. Now, here's the thing. We don't like to admit this, do we? Nobody wants to walk around with other people thinking that they're broken. And so we, you know, we sit up straight, we put on sharp-looking clothes, and we walk around like we've got it all together. But here's what I know. Not necessarily because I know you so personally well, 
but because I know human beings. Because I believe what the scripture teaches. We all carry a load. We all are struggling in an area. We all sense that brokenness that Isaiah 53 verse 4 is talking about. He bore our pain and our grief and our sorrow. It also says a word about misunderstanding. Look with me, if you would, in verse 4. It talks about the Lord carrying our weight, carrying our burden, carrying our grief and our sorrows. But I want you to also notice what it says in the second part of verse 4. So I'm just going to give you a second. Just look at what it says at the end of verse 4. Yet we considered him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. Do you remember how angry you were when you did something nice for someone and they completely misjudged it? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever done something that you meant for well and somebody has the audacity to propose or even think that you did it for for bad reasons? Or that, that you were doing something to honor God and somebody accuses you of doing it to honor yourself. Do you know how angry it makes us when we are misjudged and mischaracterized? It is infuriating. And look what it says here. Jesus bore our burdens and we misjudged him. And they're hanging on the cross. Instead of saying, There's the Son of God being crucified so that I could have peace with God. We said, God has turned his back on that one. We misjudged him. We misunderstood. And so at our worst, which not only has to do with our emotional state of pain and suffering, but it also has to do with our theological state. We looked at Jesus and we completely missed the point, is what the Scripture is saying. And then the word rebellion, which is not fun to preach about and it's not fun to listen to, but it's accurate, right? We have to, we have to pay attention to this because this is so much a part of communion. This is so much a part of Isaiah 53. Rebellion. Look look with me if you would. In verse 5. In a, in some, there's, there's two types of people in the world. People who believe it's okay to write in your Bible and people who believe it's sinful. So if you believe it's okay to write in your Bible, I want to encourage you to circle the word transgression. But he was pierced for our transgressions. And circle the word iniquity. He was crushed for our iniquity. Both of those words, if you were to go back and say, I want to study the word and what the word means in the original, here's what you would find. You would find that these words communicate a sense of rebellion. A sense of rebelling against God's vision for our life. Now, if you're one of the ones that believe it's sinful to write in your Bible, just close your eyes right now. While people circle, right? But here's what I want you to see. That Isaiah, just three verses, talks about so much of the human condition. It talks about our brokenness. It talks about how we miss these fundamental and important concepts about God. It talks about our rebellion. 
But the question that many have, and it's fair, it's a fair question. I get it often as I talk to agnostics or skeptics or atheists or people who are not agnostics, skeptics or atheists, but just want to live their own life. They don't want to surrender to Jesus. They have this question. You know, Zach, you paint a picture of a really destitute human race. My life is not as bad as those three words. And they they make this argument. They say, Zach, look, I'm not saying I've never sinned, but I've never killed anybody. I've never cheated on my spouse. Right? I've never really broken any of the Ten Commandments. So how is it that Isaiah 53 verses 4, 5, and 6, or whatever scripture it is that we're talking about at that moment, how is it that my life is so bad that God, if He is gracious, if He is merciful, and if He is loving, if I'm not broken and destitute and misunderstanding and rebellious, how is it that when I get before Him, He's not going to just be gracious and merciful if I've never surrendered my life to Christ? If I've, if I've never, if I've never converted to Christ and said yes to Jesus, that's a pretty good question. This is how I answered. I'm going to answer it for you. Maybe you're here and you're wondering that, or maybe you have a, a friend or family member, a loved one, and you have that, that, that have that. So I'm going to answer it. Here's what we're going to do. I'm not checking my text messages. I'm pulling up my calculators, what I'm doing. <clears throat> Let's say, a bad person sins like 10 times a day. Is that fair? 10 times a day, Ernie? What do you think? 10? That's a bad person. Let's say you are a good person, okay? And you don't sin 10 times a day. I'm dragging this out because I can't find my calculator right now. So if a bad person sins 10 times a day, what do you think? A good person sins twice a day? Something like that? Small ones. But twice a day, okay? So twice a day, and if you do that by the year, that's 730 sins over the year for a good person. Let's say that person has 80 good years where they're good and they only sin twice a day. Now, I don't have a degree in math, but according to my calculations... That is 58,400. 58,400. Who in here, who in here would go before a judge and the judge would say, you've done wrong. What do you have to say for yourself? And you would go to the judge and say, judge, listen, I've done wrong. I've created and committed 58,400 felonies since I've lived in your district. But you're, you're a merciful judge. And so I know you're just going to let me go, right? No, because if the judge were to do that, he would be an unrighteous judge. Because his job is to punish the wrong. And yet there's people who walk around thinking that two sins a day is no big deal. They're going to get in front of the king of glory one day. Thinking that he is just going to let it slide. No. That is why Isaiah 53 happens. 
so that there's a provision for all of the felonies that we commit before the King of glory and the Holy of Holies. And so it really is that bad. And I know that it doesn't feel good for us to self-identify with brokenness and misunderstanding and rebellion, but it's accurate. And so with all love and in the spirit of just being honest with you, I would say to you that unless your brokenness and your rebellion is covered by the blood of Jesus, you are in eternal danger. But now we go on and we see the sacrifice, right? And and so we see the tremendous sacrifice that is made. Specifically four things. That Jesus bore and carried our pain. That he was pierced, crushed, and wounded for our sin. And that he carried our iniquity. And it may seem a little repetitive as you make the notes. But but remember, we're we're just traveling through a statement. That at our worst... Jesus made a tremendous sacrifice so that we could experience God's best. And we said at the beginning of the message that sometimes it's hard for us to emotionally or intellectually connect with these ideas that Jesus was crucified. We see it. We hear about it. And yet it still, for the most part, often does not move us. Why is that? I was talking with one of the brothers in the office this week. And I gave him my theory. I'm going to give it to you. I won't spend long on it because I would rather preach facts and save theories. But I do want to share with you why I think sometimes it's so easy for us to pass over a passage like this and really not grip our hearts and our minds. Here's why. I believe that in the modern church, And when I say that, I don't mean just the fellowship. I just mean in general. We we have tried to tidy up the gospel. We have forgotten the bloodiness of the Old Testament. We have forgotten the pain and suffering that Jesus went through for our sin. We think about it, but even then we tidy it up in our own thinking, don't we? In our imagination, we create a less gruesome and grotesque and bloody savagery of a crucifixion because it's uncomfortable. And I'm telling you this, I do the same. On Good Friday, I forced myself to read the passages about how he was beaten and about how the flesh was ripped off of his back and and those types of things. I know we have young kids here today, and so I don't want to go too far with painting and a mental image. But can I just say this to you? We cannot tidy up the gospel. That is the price that Jesus paid for our peace and for our healing. And as tempted as we are to tidy it up and compartmentalize it and to not think of it in terms of a blood sport, we have to remember what price was paid for my sin and for your sin. 
And so we, we know that at our worst, Jesus made a tremendous sacrifice. But for what reason? To provide His best. And really what I want to do with you this morning is just, when we ask the question, what is His best? Just to allow the Scripture to answer it. There are two words that are given in the the Scriptures that explain to us what His best is. Look with me in verse 5 if you would. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. So if you're making notes, I'm going to invite you to write down two words. Peace and healing. Now, are that the only two words that we find that talk about God's best? Absolutely not. But they are the words that are found in the Scripture that we're studying this morning. You can go to through the Gospels, you can go through Acts, you can go through the New Testament. There's so many ideas and words and concepts of what it means to be redeemed, to have a thriving, real relationship with the Creator of, of the world. But in this Scripture specifically, it gives two words. At our worst, the servant Jesus paid the ultimate price. He was crushed for our iniquity. He was broken. He was pierced. Our iniquities were laid on Him. Why? To bring two things. Peace and healing. Again, if you were to go back and look at the word peace, you would discover that a couple of ideas come together to really create the essence of that word shalom. I want to give those to you. There are four of them. And when you have these four things all together, you have... This concept of shalom, safety. Jesus was crucified to bring safety into our life. Completeness. Restoration. And rest. That are, that, those are the ideas that are behind the word Peace in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bible, let's just say for a moment you had the ability to reach down and grab the word peace and just kind of lift it up and peek behind or underneath what that word is. Those concepts would be there. And so when we read the word peace here, it's talking about to be safe and to be complete and to be restored and to be at rest. But also the word Healing is there. I mentioned like two weeks ago how afraid we are of that word. Because there's such an extreme in today's culture. You either believe that God can heal you, and if He doesn't, it's because you lack faith. Or you believe that God is done with healing people. Listen, God heals people. He heals them in every way. But specifically... I want to remind you that the cross is given and it's provided by the Father to heal and to mend and to make peace with God. You know, we have the the mission statement. I don't know if you know the mission statement. If you don't, I encourage you to learn it. If you're a guest here today, it's easy. You could learn it before you leave here today, but there's no quiz. We're a loving community. Building 
up followers of Jesus and sharing Christ everywhere that we go. That's why we exist. That's our mission. And when you think about that third phrase, sharing Christ everywhere we go, really the message that we just listened to, that I delivered, that you experienced, that is the backbone of sharing Christ everywhere we go. Because what does it mean to share Christ? Here's what it means. To talk to somebody about the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus is is to teach them that at our worst, Jesus made a tremendous sacrifice so that we could have God's best. As we think about having communion, and in a moment we're going to close, we're going to uh, open the, the altar for you to come and just prepare your heart if you want. But specifically as we think about communion today, and, and look at the scripture in Isaiah 53. Isn't it, isn't it so reflective looking at communion and thinking about at our worst, Jesus gave the sacrifice so that we could have peace with God. Before we close, you see there's one last section in your notes. It's the so what section. Because every time we learn biblical truth, we ask the question, so what, right? How does this connect with my life? And, what you'll discover is that I'm not giving you the blanks. You have to fill these in yourself. But I want to go to the. I want to go in the wrong order. I want to start at the end, and I want you to look. If you have your notes, look with me, if you would. So the question is: So regardless of blank, I choose to blank. Here's the question. After listening that at our worst, Jesus gave the sacrifice so that we could have God's best. Listen, let me ask you this question. Hearing all of that, what is the next step for you? Some of you this morning might might look at that last blank and say, I choose to believe. My next step is to say, Lord, if you would do this for me, I want to be yours. I want to know you, God. I want to follow you. Maybe some of you, When you read this and you've experienced this message today, what is your natural response? Maybe it should be worship. And so you would say, because of today, I choose to worship. He gave his life. He was crushed. He was pierced. He took my iniquities. Because of who he is and what he's done, I will worship him. Maybe some of you need to write in that blank. I choose to come back. Maybe you've walked away from the Lord and looking at this scripture about what he has done for you, not because of guilt, but because of love causes you to want to come back and to begin following the Lord again. So the reality is this. I can't fill that blank in for you. As you pray, as you seek the guidance of the Lord, you have to decide what your response is today. But as I told you, we're going backwards, right? The last blank is how you choose to respond to the sacrifice of Jesus for the sins of mankind. But here's the first blank. The first blank is something that's keeping you from giving your all to the Lord. I was thinking about the types of things that that might be. For some of us, it may be circumstances. So today you would say, look, Because of the great sacrifice of Christ, regardless of my circumstance, 
I'm going to worship God. So for some of you, it may be difficulty. For some of you, it may be brokenness. For some of you, it may be skepticism or doubt. Maybe you're struggling with doubt. And today you would say, you know what, regardless of the questions that I have, I'm going to take a step in faith. So here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you this morning to identify something in your life that is keeping you from taking the next step and responding to the Scripture. And I'm asking you to choose today to not allow it to hold you back anymore. Do you need to come to faith in Jesus this morning? My prayer is that no matter what you write in that first blank, it won't keep you. Do you need to come back to the Lord this morning? My prayer is that whatever you would write in that first blank will not have power to keep you from coming back to the Lord.